Howdy, friends. Listen, before we jump in, check this out. We've got some exciting news. As you know, Peter and I work for Bottle Rocket, and we would love for you to join our team. Listen, we're a work-from-wherever company, and we're self-managed vacation. Not to mention, you get to work with great people. Take, for example, Peter and I. It sounds great, right? So if you are ready to do the best work of your life, and join an extraordinary team. Hit the link in the show notes to see our current open positions and apply today. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lift Off by Bottle Rocket. I'm Tony Dosat. And I am Peter Clayman. Okay, so today's really awesome. Our guest this week is CEO of Eden Green Technology, a socially responsible company that provides food security and jobs to low-income neighborhoods. He's also a board member of Seed Effect, the micro-lending nonprofit focused on fostering economic stability in the South Sudan and Uganda. Now, before shifting his primary focus to human service and food security, our guest co-founded BuzzShift and served as their president for over 11 years. So it is our pleasure to introduce to you all today, Mr. Eddie Bedrina. Eddie, thank you so much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. Excited to be here. Man. So Eddie, I got to say, like, I'm very excited about today. And I think it's probably prudent to just start with a story as to why I'm so excited. Okay, so many of you don't know this, but in college, I studied civil engineering. It was one of the things I studied. And I had a specialty in water and hydraulics and other things. And my senior thesis as a group project, we had six of us, was to build repeatable greenhouses that included aquaponics and we had to build scale models and write economic reports and do this whole thing to make it a scalable thing. Now I never pursued this, but I did have like a, a, a model size greenhouse in my college dorm room with my three other college roommates who are all really good sports of the fact that we were growing tomatoes with guppies in the bottom and it leaked sometimes and never really worked exactly like it was supposed to. You have taken all of my dreams and you have made them utter and complete realities in a way that's far beyond my wildest expectations. So can you tell us a little bit more about eating green and what you are doing in terms of how you're growing, what you're growing, what all this means, how that, how does that include technology? So what we're doing, what Eden Green does is we're basically redefining what locally grown means. So locally grown up to this point has meant uh, inaccessible, right? So unless you've got the free time to go on a Saturday to a farmer's market, you're not getting locally grown food. Uh, It means inconsistent, right? So locally grown is only for those who can afford it. And then it's also seasonal. So depending on where you live, Uh, And we've all, you know, a lot of us have seen these sort of co-op models where it's sort of a, you know, it's like a box of chocolates, what you're getting each every other week. You don't know what you're getting. Right. And so you kind of have to figure it out. There's Mm. sort of consistency to it. Uh, And then the last is because uh, they're on such small mom and pop levels, locally grown means uh, sometimes means unsafe. And even commercially, we're seeing all of these uh, E. coli and salmonella outbreaks uh, because, uh, just safety procedures weren't, weren't being uh, weren't being addressed right on a on a on a large level. So, but if you can change all that, if you can make it to where uh, you can grow truly locally, where you can 
be season agnostic and you can do it at a scale and an efficiency where everyone can afford it. And at a safety level that they are, they know where their food is coming from and they know that it's safe. You transform what it means to feed people and then you transform the way it, what it means to farm food. And so that's what we're doing uh, right now. And it's all based on this technology of um, it's 18 to 20 foot vertical towers of, uh, of uh, plant spots, if you will. And so we've taken the best of both worlds of greenhouses with their economic efficiency using 100% of sunlight and combined it with the vertical density of indoor farming uh, to create something that's environmentally sustainable, but then also uh, fiscally and economically sustainable. If you're listening right now, you should actually check out edengreen.com, E-D-E-N-G-R-E-E-N.com, or Google search uh, the name, because the images, I'm like looking, it's, it's staggering, it's so cool. It's these PVC, and I'll explain to you if you're not looking right now. It looks like PVC. I don't know what it is, uh, like a, a gray plastic or whatever it is. Yeah, it's it's food grade PPA, yeah. Well, of course, there we go. <laughs> and then so it's these vertical, what are they? They're 20 feet, and yeah. then there's there's these there's these sort of pod or... or Called or plant spots, right? Plant they're spots. Plant spots, yeah. How many per? So uh, per tower or, you know, we call them vines actually internally, we just call them Ah. vines, but per vine, there's 36 plant spots per vine. So if you multiply that out just by the density of the greenhouse in one and a half acres of our greenhouse, you're looking at around 300,000 plant spots. It's remarkable. 300,000 plant spots because of the way that we grow food uh, and because of the efficient nature of it, we're getting anywhere from 11 to 13 harvests a year. Uh, and that's equal to, it'll produce anywhere between, I'll just call it 2 million pounds of food per year. And how is each vine harvested? Because I see it and it's, this, yes. I mean, it's so tall. It's like, how do you, how so do you it's harvest a good question. each one? So a lot of our peers, they have to rely on, on robotics and automation. And that's because uh, they are, uh, they're so OPEX heavy, operational expense heavy, that they have to front load it with uh, capital expenditures of robotics. So you've got all these moving parts in addition to flat trays rolling around or like, you know, the plants are moving through the various uh, lighting cycles. There's a lot of moving parts, which means a lot of maintenance, which means a lot of breakdown, which means inconsistency. Our inventors designed it so that it's the other way around. The only thing moving in that uh, facility is water and air. Mm. And, uh, when we have to plant or harvest, we do it with people and scissorless because we're so efficient. We can actually use people. We don't have to rely on automation. We don't have to bump up the CapEx. We actually want to, and we're proud of employing up to 30 people per greenhouse. Our economics allow for it, right? Our other peers, they can't afford it they can't afford to employ that many people because they wouldn't make any money. We can actually afford to do that in our models. Um, So 30 people full-time with benefits, you're getting rid of migrant working conditions under the sun and you're giving them full-time jobs, stable jobs that in this industry of indoor farming, 
it's only going to grow by leaps and bounds, no pun intended, over the next probably 10 to 15 years. Uh, and so we're not just giving them jobs, we're giving them employment platforms to where they can have upward mobility where they didn't have it before. Um, so I love the technology. I love that we're profitable because we have to be in order to do this. Mm. But there's a, there's a big part of my heart that is focused on the fact that we can employ these people. And by the way, we're focused on building these in urban markets because we want to cut the food mileage from 2000 miles, oh, in Salinas Valley in California, all the way to 20 miles to two miles. And in some cases, if we can build next to a distribution facility, uh, a distribution center, it could be 20 yards, right? But if you're putting these in urban populations because they're so dense, they only take an acre and a half, who are you going to hire? You want to hire your neighbors, right? So these greenhouses then become not just a source of food, but they become a source of redemption and rejuvenation and renewal for the communities around it. They're not warehouses. They're not, you know, industrial plants that are giving off, you know, tons of chemicals. They're greenhouses growing produce. So these urban farms at scale are really trans, they have the ability to transform whole neighborhoods and communities, all while making a profit, all while producing massive amounts of greens, not just for that local community, but, you know, for 400 mile radius around, you know, around the greenhouse. We caught you early on this cycle of having an R&D facility, a future state commercial facility, but that is not the the plan. Yes. No. What is the plan? What's your vision? Like you started a digital marketing strategy firm, right? And now yeah, you're sitting yeah. here talk to, talking to us about technology-enabled farming that provides yeah. opportunities to stable jobs, that provides training and all these other things that's a scalable model. So where's this model going? So um, I'll, I'll, there's a little backstory there and I'll tell you what the big vision is. But the backstory is I was running BuzzShift. My business partner and I had started in 2010, sold it in 2016. We, we grew it, we bootstrapped it and grew it to a level where it was attracted attention of much, much larger marketing agencies. Sold it in 2016, bought it back 11 months later. It's a whole story in there on that. Uh, and then continued to run it. So uh, while that second go round, I had a chance to take a step back and say, okay, what do I want to do with my life? Not just with BudShift 2.0, what did I want to do with my life? And three things really uh, were set on my heart. One is I wanted to run a hardware software business. The second is I wanted to see an exponential impact on my effort. So for every one unit of effort that I put in, I wanted to see a 10 or 20 X return on community and society around me. And the third is I wanted to build what's called a redemptive organization. So uh, in, we've seen all the companies, a lot of companies that are exploitative, their leaders eat first, their employees are treated unfairly and the community and society around it are net negative right? Because of the existence of that company. We see them all over the place. And they're the vast majority of companies that are out there. Unfortunately, there are some companies that are ethical and that's where the leaders eat alongside their employees, right? They, they share, they profit share. They, they, um, they're just the, the, the executive team is, uh, alongside them. Maybe they sit next to them, right? But some of the manifestations of it. So leaders eat alongside their employees. The employees are treated fairly, 
in the in culture and society around them is either net neutral or is advanced because of these companies. Those companies should absolutely be lauded and praised. They're, they are what we need in today's society. But there are a couple of companies of which Eden Green is one where they're redemptive. That's where the leaders eat last. The leaders are sacrificial. If things go south, the leaders are the last ones to take a paycheck. If, um, you know, if in this, in this marketplace, um, you know, if, if there are health concerns, the leaders are at the front lines of trying to, uh, make sure that, uh, of anyone who gets exposed, it's the leaders first and uh, the employees last. So leaders eat last, they're sacrificial Two, the employees are not just treated fairly, they're treated generously. Uh, and then the third is, uh, culture and society is not just advanced, but it's renewed and redeemed because of this company. That's what we're trying to build. That's what I wanted to run uh, post buzz shift. And so with those three things, uh, I came upon eating green uh, just through some mutual friends and it checked all three of those boxes. And it was, I mean, it was the easiest hard decision I ever made because mm. I love buzz shift. It's still running. We actually just sold it again for the second time, five months ago. And my, the, my business partner is still the CEO of it. Uh, so it was a hard decision, but it was an easy decision because all three of those boxes were checked off. And the vision for this thing is actually to not just have one or two or three of these greenhouses, but I want to create a mesh network of greenhouses that are all in the top urban populations all around the United States that operate independently but they collaborate in terms of technological innovations and they collaborate in terms of maybe even food sourcing, right? So one, one greenhouse may specialize in spinach, another may specialize in, in butter lettuce and they trade. Building a marketplace. Right? So I as building a restaurant can buy from, and I have Exactly. I got it. So you have consistent supply, right? You know what you're getting into. Uh, and then, so it's sort of this, you know, Adam Smith competitive versus competitive advantage. And then the last piece is uh, if you have 10 of these and they're all operating differently and independently, but they're the same platform. If employee A, who started as a, a food safety technician in Seattle, wants to move up in most organizations, you'd have to go outside of that organization because there's only so much upward mobility in that one greenhouse. But if you have 10 of these all over the nation, well, then I can jump them, provide upward mobility and a change in lifestyle and change in scenery if they want it to then jump. So then all of a sudden they are having mobility like they never had. And these are folks who don't have college degrees. Someone can start at the base level of our greenhouse with four hours of training and learn mm. to seed, propagate, monitor, uh, harvest, food safety, greenhouse ops. They can all start at that level and work their way up. So that's the vision is to create this mesh network of greenhouses all across the United States. And we can put them up fast, like eight months fast. And an acre so and a half our, is our, not a lot. It's not it's, a lot it's of a land. It's a sixth of a Walmart, right? And not yeah. including the parking lot. Yeah, exactly. So, you know, actually that's a really interesting comment because there are these big box retailers and landowners who are looking to repurpose their land mm -hmm. and they're saying, Hey, what does it look like to, you know, put one of these in our big boxes? I'm like, well, it's indoors. You have to refurbish. It's like we're greenhouses. 
but you got parking lots that are empty. That's all we need. <laughs> yeah. All we need. So these are slab on grade greenhouses. So we, nothing's buried. So we can pop these up in eight months. Yep. You could have your first harvest in under a year. That's crazy. I mean, that is, that's a game changer in industry that are taking two or three years to build these 60 acre facilities in rural Kentucky or wherever. We don't need that. We actually want to build these in the middle of cities in depressed areas where the land is cheap, but strategic from a geographic perspective, the land is actually very strategic in terms of supply chain. Mm, it's so cool, man. It's pretty awesome. I mean, I, I, I'm so, so fortunate to be, to be leading this team. Um, again, like it, the puzzle pieces were there. Uh, they just needed to go to market strategy and they need, they needed the team put in swim lanes. And so uh, I came on board and, and, you know, even when the pandemic hit, um, most, for most people it was a setback, but for us, it was actually provided cover for us to retool the company, mm. uh, provided us uh, all the more time for research and R and D and creating a more robust sample set uh, to be able to go out to the market. And then just honestly, we refine our engineering so that in our operations, so that when 2021 hit, man, we saw the need, people started clamoring for locally grown food. Uh, we've seen a 400% increase in our industry uh, for the demand for locally grown food over organic. Organic's a marketing play that yeah, I think, yeah, yeah. think people are seeing through now and they want to know where their food's coming from. So it's pretty exciting. It's super exciting. You're like an ideal customer for future state Howell lens glasses as well, but we won't talk about that. Uh, <laughs> let's talk about. Uh, so I was an I early adopter of the Google Glass, by the way. I, so you're you like you straight go. down the middle. Like, let's check the microclimates for quality control. Straight down the middle customer for what they want. But we're not going to get into this quite yet. What I do want to ask you is something a little fluffier, right? Which is, I think for a lot of people, they have become so disconnected from the natural world that they don't actually get to experience how incredible it is to watch something grow every single day, especially in the environments you're setting them in. Like if you were to go look at one of your plants at the start of the day, end of the day, noticeable differences in growth. How have you seen that affect your workers that you're kind of empowering and putting into the field? Interesting. Like, what, what has their experience been? Has it been transformational? What, what are you kind of hearing when you do feedback and research amongst your employees? So uh, that's, a, that's a great question. One is um, we've had very, very little attrition in our company, uh, even during the pandemic. One, because we chose to pay them even when they couldn't come in. I mean, from the very get-go, it was a no-brainer for us. You know, did I have to talk to my investors? Sure. But I'm advocating, I was advocating from the very beginning of COVID, like, hey, we're paying them. We're not going to, just because they can't come to the greenhouse doesn't mean they, I mean, it just, it doesn't make any sense to me, right. Uh, from a care for our employees. And the second thing is we pivoted and I actually had them uh, turn. I mean, we turned full, all throttled, throttled up to grow greens that we could then give away to the local community. Because in my background with with foreign affairs and, and intelligence, I kind of knew where it was headed in terms of food shortages. So uh, probably I would say the pandemic hit here officially in March, officially. By April, we had already turned up the gas and said, hey, we want all the entire facility to grow greens that are going to prove out our numbers, but grow greens that uh, people will eat so that we can give them away. So we've given tons of food away. 
Uh, and I think, uh, you know, back to the employee thing, I think they saw that and they said, man, we're really from the top. We really care about our employees and we can care about the community around us. We're willing to stick it out through thick and thin. Right. Um, and then I think the second thing is you're right. When people are working with their hands, with live, with greens, with plants that are growing and they're caring for them in such a way that they're not just widgets. Uh, there's something special about that. Right. Uh, there's, and everyone has their work, you know, work, climate and um, just the interpersonal dynamics. But when you, when, when your mission is in front of you every single day and you're seeing that thing grow and you're harvesting it and you know that if you don't seed it right, the folks down the line 30 days later are going to be harvesting something that's not, they can't be proud of. I mean, that, mm. that, that's a very um, interconnected workplace like few others. Again, I really encourage people to look at the imagery because it blew me away. I know we could talk about all this forever, but we do have to go into the lightning round. So a little uh, preface. Here's what the lightning round is. We're going to ask you a series of questions, a short series. And it's only a one-word answer. And you don't, get, you don't, you don't dive into oh, it. You don't dang. dig it up. Okay. It's one word. Got it. This is a challenge. Now, Candidly, no one has left it at a word and then been silent, right? It's always a word. We pause and then get into it, but you know. Yeah. Okay. Maybe okay. you'll break yeah. the mold. Okay. okay. Here we go. So we heard about your journey, but in one word, what is your why? Relationships. Oh, relationships. I like it. And if you could see the video here. I can tell he wants to unpack this so desperately. <laughs> I'm going to refrain. I'm going to cut it off. Yeah, I'm going to come in refrain. next, okay? So let's go back to your comment about having insight about global politics. The future of, we're seeing a lot of insecurity right now, which is consistent with pandemics, consistent with a lack of opportunities, economic and others. The future of a more secure and equitable world is empowered through what? Information. Oh, that's a great answer. Or two words, information transparency. Ah, okay, okay. I got one more. I want to unpack that. I want to unpack that so badly. <laughs> I won't. God it's bless. like the end of a really great movie where oh, it ends and you go, you're killing me. The audience you're can make me. up their own mind. We took our peak end effect from Prince Gooman, one of our that's first right. <laughs> people, and we like took all his psychological tricks and rolled it right in the podcast. Well, because I don't think there we had go. lightning round before that. No, I don't think we did. Okay, okay. Yeah. All right, One. I got one more for you. And then we'll do the last question. Final lightning question. One word is, if you didn't do what you do or what you have done, what is your dream occupation? Fly fishing guide. A fly fishing guide. Okay. I also want to unpack every single one of these. I'm like, I could spend 30 minutes on each of these, but anyway, keep on going. Keep well, on going. It's all know, about systems. The I, common I, theme here is systems thinking, by the way, everybody. Well, it's interesting there you, you say that because the takeaway I have, and this is interesting because, and part of the reason why we don't unpack this, yours is systems thinking. Mine is servant leadership. You know, the fishing, the relationships, the eating last, all the things. Anyway, so here's the final question. Eddie, are you ready? And this one you can unpack. Yeah. 
Okay. Okay. Great. So what non-digital object or thing that you own or possess means the most to you or has impacted your life the most and why? I'm a sneakerhead. Oh, are you? Yeah. So I love the utility and the artistry of sneakers uh, and the historicity of it. So I've probably got, oh, I hate to say it, I probably have two few dozen pairs of shoes, pairs of sneakers. When did that start? Like why? Uh, relatively, I mean, to me, relatively recently as a kid. So I'll unpack this as a kid, son of immigrant parents, they did not have the time nor the, nor the, the, uh, the resources, nor the, um, willingness to buy me a pair of air jordans mm. and so that embedded me a deep-seated desire to buy as many jordans as i can mm. uh, when i have disposable income so now that i have disposable income i'm fulfilling many of the things as a kid that i couldn't afford like sneakers like okay here's one too we we couldn't really afford lucky charms um and so but when we did it was such a treat. I would eat all the oats first and then save the marshmallows and then like pack them in like really tight into like an apple. And I would eat that marshmallow oh uh, it's like a ball, treat. if you would, <laughs> right. As a kiddo, that's, that is, that is all the way translated to two days ago. My mother-in-law sent me because she found it on Amazon. She sent me a two pound bag of just marshmallows. <laughs> Lucky Charms Charm marshmallows. marshmallows. Yeah. Uh, yes. Best mother-in-law ever. Anyway, um, that is the theme of fulfilling what I couldn't do as a child now that I have disposable income. And so sneakers are, are, uh, are something that are near and dear to my heart that are non-digital. Wow. Great Good answer. Yeah, this has been a real joy. I know I, I'm speaking for Peter and I both, and we want to thank you for coming on, being part of the show. And until next time, thanks so much. Yeah, thank you.